Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope you are having a good day. I hope you had a chance to listen to Susie Larson. And if you stuck around, I'm glad you did because I've got a great show for you. And if you've uh, just started listening to Faith Radio, I think it's a really good idea to download the app and check out all the good stuff we have over at MyFaithRadio.com. I always like talking to folks from the Heritage Foundation. Rob Louie's out today with Genevieve Wood. Uh, is going to be stepping in. She is uh, not only a uh, amazing spokesperson, but uh, one of the founding members of the Daily Signal. Genevieve, welcome. Hey, it's good to be with you again. Thanks, Genevieve. You know, sometimes when it comes to stories that are regarding the news, I feel like I'm in the waiting room of the dentist office, and I like my dentist. So <laughs> I'm, it's, I, I like talking to you. I like talking to Rob, but I don't consume news anymore. So I'm always a little apprehensive about where it's going to take me and what I know and what I don't know, and what I don't know right now could fill up a large stadium. <laughs> well, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Unfortunately, a lot of it not so good. Uh, but you know, it's good to be informed. It's good to know what's happening out there, and, and to know you know what we should be doing uh, in our individual communities to, to to either support something or to make sure we're taking it down. So that's. I think it's great that you do this every week. Well, I think so too. It's it's good to feel informed, and there are some stories that are so big, even if you don't follow the news, you hear about them because they're brought up in conversation. And of course. I did hear about this incident uh, regarding the police department in, was it in Nashville, where someone was uh, beaten to death? Yes, and, and it was actually, it was in, it was in Tennessee, in Tennessee. Memphis, uh, Tennessee. Memphis. Okay. Yes, uh, and a, a horrible situation where uh, a young man who, you know, was not driving appropriately gets pulled over, and you have five policemen who just, they went, uh, to, to say too far is just not right. I mean, mm-hmm. they... Uh, they abused someone and ended up really causing, well, they did. They caused his death for absolutely no reason. I mean, none of the video that anybody has watched, and it's very hard to watch. I don't encourage people to sit down and watch the full tape, but you don't have to watch very much to see that it was completely uncalled for. Uh, it was a complete abuse. And, you know, they're acting quickly on this. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the, one of the terrible outcomes, the most terrible being this young man lost his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the second terrible outcome is that it's sparking you know, this call uh, for racial protest around the country again. You've already seen a few of those uh, pop up. I don't know if you've had them in Minnesota. But, you know, it's it's unclear that there was anything racial going on here. The five policemen who did this were actually five black police officers. Uh, and the man that, it was, that lost his life was also black. Mm-hmm. Uh, Memphis is a predominantly black city as well, black mayor, black police, uh, police chief. Uh, but nonetheless, it has to be investigated uh, but it's just sad when you see something like this tragic happen and some people jump to conclusions and try to stir up trouble, which really doesn't help the cause at all. Mm-hmm. Now, Genevieve, if I may ask some questions, because I don't know anything about the story. So let me ask these questions, and I apologize if they sound uh, kind of uh, simple. But um, when someone gets pulled over for traffic, there's usually not five officers involved unless the first officer is called for backup for some reason. Was there something right. going on that suggested this could be a dangerous situation? 
Well, I think that's part of what the investigation, you know, has to be. It's like, why were all of a sudden five people on the scene? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we know all those answers, but regardless, um, if you look at the tape, it doesn't look like this young man who's really trying to resist arrest. Uh, You have five people, even if he had been, you had five men who could have handled that. Uh, But the beating that took place over the time that he was there on the ground with them was just absolutely uncalled for. And as you may know, he died, I think, two days later in the hospital from those from those wounds. Mm, Yeah, I I did not. I did not know that. I I did hear he died, but I didn't know how long it took. And it just sounds horrible. So uh, it was absolutely, absolutely horrible. And, and, you know, a related incident or story in that case is, you know, one of the, the challenges that they ought to investigate here, and we know that at least one of these the cops that, that was involved in this incident, uh, somebody was hired in the force, I think, maybe one or two years ago. And the Memphis police, like many other departments around the country, have been lowering their standards in terms of who they recruit to be police officers. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing that because they've been losing police officers, people retiring early, people not deciding to go into police work, a good chunk of it being because of the defund police uh, the defund the police movement on uh, this effort to you know really try to uh, malign law enforcement as if they're all the bad guys, which is absolutely not true. There's always a bad apple somewhere, but the vast majority of law enforcement uh, puts their life on the line every single day in this country mm-hmm. to, to protect us. Yeah. But when you go after you know a, a profession like that, people stop wanting to go into it. And so they've lowered standards. And one of the gentlemen, uh, well, I shouldn't call him a gentleman necessarily, but one of the officers involved here had been a, I think, a, a guard at a, at a prison a few years ago and had been involved there in beating a prisoner. Oh, wow. Had not, because of some court, you know, somebody didn't serve papers on time, uh, that was never prosecuted. But somebody like that probably should have been on the police force in the first place. But they're so desperate for police officers that you you have that happening. So again, this has to be further investigated. And that's, that really is extended to what I know about it, mm-hmm. but it's something for us to be very concerned about. Mm-hmm. Genevieve Wood is my guest um, from the Heritage Foundation. Genevieve, I think it was the last time I was glancing the news, which must have been over six months ago. I think in my city, the police force had been reduced from like 938 uniformed officers down to like 610. So when you see those numbers going in that direction, you start to think, this can't be good in terms of safety and what gets um, attention and how fast officers respond to calls. Yeah, there are a lot of, uh, you know, maybe professions that are, are, are bloated in terms of how many people uh, like the government, for example, are hired to do things. But I don't I think very few of us believe there are too many cops on the streets. Um, and, and unfortunately, in the in the very areas where they're needed the most, it's where you're seeing crime go up. Uh, and part of that's there's less of a police presence. And there's also, you know, there's a, a real concern among many officers, you know, to, to use, which they, you should use as least forces as necessary to, to handle a situation. But in some cases, maybe standing back because they don't want to be accused of bad behavior. So we're in a, we're in a tough place. And unfortunately, this, I mean, it's terrible this incident happened. But it's also terrible that people use that uh, to try to promote a political cause of, like, defund the police again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sadly, you saw that in several cities. Mm-hmm. Genevieve, I mean, they torched a car, I think, a police car out in L.A. and, you know, or in, in New York. And so it's, it's not good. Yeah, I would agree. Genevieve, what did I, uh, I was told, because I'm, I'm not discovering these stories on my own, about some <laughs> kind of a- act- activists that are... Uh, illegally protesting outside of uh, Amy Coney Barrett's home. 
Yes. So uh, many of your listeners may remember back when the uh, Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade uh, first occurred or, or there was a leak that, it, that that may happen. Uh, there were a lot of protests in front of several off, uh, houses of the judiciary, so Brett Kavanaugh being one, Amy Coney Barrett being another. But those have continued. And if you might remember, Brett Kavanaugh not only had protesters outside his house, one of them came with the intention of killing him. Now, thankfully, that was discovered early. Mm -hmm. uh, who knows if he would have ever gotten through, but it was a very serious matter. But this is happening on a nightly basis. People standing outside, chanting. And Amy Coney Barrett has seven children inside her home. Wow. That neighborhood has other children living there, too, uh, if you can imagine if you're of the neighbors. And there are laws on the book saying you can't do things like that. But I hate to say it, in many cases, uh, DOJ, the Department of Justice under President Biden, has not really enforced that. Uh, the governors or the, the local officials in those states have can trump you know, what the, the governor may ask for. So even though Governor Youngkin of Virginia, which is where uh, Justice Barrett lives, has wanted to have you know, police presence there to make sure that you know, nobody – there's more than – nothing happens you know, that gets really dangerous – uh, some of the local officials there have been very standoffish about it. They may have some, you know, some police around, but they're allowing them to try to intimidate. Uh, and there's actually a federal uh, statute saying they shouldn't be able to do that. So we'll see how long this goes on, but it, it's, a, it's a sad situation. Um, and I think I would you know, encourage people to pray for not just the, um, you know, well, certainly for the safety of the justices and their family, but also that it doesn't get to them mentally uh, and, 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 you know, try to change their opinion on things. Mm -hmm. Genevieve Wood is my guest. If you have a question for her, because you can clearly see I'm running out of questions, so you can text them over to 877-933-2484. I found uh, this uh, article that I, I was directed to about the Port Wentworth, Georgia police chief, Matt Libby, who is announcing his retirement uh, after a week after... He placed uh, an officer on administrative leave for sharing his views on traditional marriage on Facebook. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a young officer who was on the staff there uh, yeah. made a, a Facebook post, not as, not as a member of the police force, or anything, it was just his personal Facebook page, mm -hmm. uh, saying that, you know, people can see, the, can see the tweet. He basically said, God designed marriage. Marriage refers to Christ and the church. That's why there is no such thing as homosexual marriage. Uh, and this is a statement that he made as himself. Doesn't ha doesn't have a picture of him in his police uniform. Doesn't have it. You know, doesn't say next to it. I'm a police officer on the right. side. But nonetheless, somebody said they were offended by that. And as opposed to wanting to stand up for you know First Amendment rights, and you know this isn't a public statement by the local police authorities there. Uh, they tried to pressure him. I mean, they basically first put him on administrative leave. Then started telling them that, well, you cannot post things like that again, even though we're not going to punish you further in the future. You can't post anything that, you know, along those lines. And eventually he decided, the officer himself, the young, to step down because he said, I'm, you know, first and foremost a Christian and I'm not going to um, be told I can't say things publicly <laughs> that, that, you know, that are, you know, represent my faith. Mm -hmm. uh, so he stepped down, but. It obviously didn't go over well, apparently, or at least was not seen as handled well, because the police chief uh, has admitted he was asked to retire early. He didn't just retire on his own. He was asked to retire. So um, it clearly was, was pushed back from the community. Wow. Amazing. All right, Genevieve, let me take a little break. Genevieve Wood is my guest. She's one of the uh, founders of The Daily Signal. 
and she is stepping in for Rob Bluey. But Genevieve is on kind of regularly, which I really like. Uh, if you have a question for her, you can text it over, 877 933 Again, 877 Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I'm back with Genevieve Wood. She's filling in for Rob Louie. She is the um, one of the leading voices at the Heritage Foundation and also a founding member of the Daily Signal. That's where we get Rob Louie, the executive director over at the Daily Signal. Genevieve, I would like to find out what is happening on the immigration front. That always seems to be a hot topic. Well, it's a hot topic because it, it you know, it, we know record numbers of folks who are legally coming to country are streaming across the border. And the Biden administration, uh, people, I think more and more people around the country are becoming attuned to this. And so they're feeling the need to do something, quote unquote, and respond. Uh, but their latest idea is, is basically a shell game. Uh, they've decided, well, because there's so much pressure on people coming, you know, all along the border, we're going to adv- advertise to people that you can download the custom uh, uh, Border Patrol app. And if you're from four countries, Venezuela, Cuba, uh, Haiti, and one other, you can apply to come in and just come to the entry point itself, not anywhere on the border, but come to the actual border offices. And we will pro- uh, take a look at your asylum and let you in automatically. And then we'll have a case or a hearing for you down the road. Mm-hmm. That's 30,000 people a month. Okay, first of all, these are 30,000 people who are already trying to come in anyway. They're now, they're now being able to jump ahead of anybody who was trying to get into the country the legal way, claiming asylum and maybe religious persecution. persecution. And then third, these folks are just let into the country automatically and told, we'll be in touch about a date for your court hearing. Well, the vast majority of these people never show up again for their court hearing. But the Biden administration is trying to say, oh, look, we're stopping at least 30,000 people and making sure that we know who they are. And that's taking pressure off the, you know, the, the Border Patrol agents who are having to go up and down the Texas and Arizona border coast. That's not happening. That, that's just not true. Uh, so it's just another example of this administration not being serious about the immigration issue. And when you hear them talking about and saying we have a plan, I can guarantee you experts at Heritage follow this very, very closely. The administration has put forward no plan in the two plus years they've been in office that has done anything except encourage more illegal immigration. And this will be one of them. Mm-hmm. Because once again, it's not saying here's a plan to stop it. It's just here's a plan to get people in more quickly and try to take some pressure off border agents. Sure. Well, if you're somebody trying to get in the country, that sounds pretty good to you. Uh, so it's only going to encourage more. And it, it's a real disaster and very unfortunate move. Yeah. Wouldn't it make sense, uh, regardless of who is in the White House, that if you are trying to get people on the honor system who are trying to come into our country, fast track them in, that if we if you say we will we'll let you in and then we'll give you a date where you show up for court, that that human condition is human nature is that 
the vast majority probably aren't going to show up for that court date? Yeah, the va- I mean, and the vast majority do not. I mean, the numbers actually show this. If you look at this particular case, I think between like 2013 and 2021, so over a seven to eight year period, of all the people that were let, uh, that were not detained and were just allowed to go into the country and said, okay, we'll follow up with you later, 7% of those people came back for their court hearings. Oh, 7%. So, yeah, no, it's not very many at all. And you know this but this is this is the kind of lawlessness that's being put forward i hate to say it by the department of homeland security and secretary uh, mayorkas uh, they're they're not taking this seriously and i think it's because they want to let people in a lot of people within uh, this administration are what i would call open border people mm-hmm. uh, they don't really want to have a border they think it's and I, and I think a lot of it is because they think a lot of these people will vote uh, for more leftist causes that may or may not be true, uh, but they it, they want to change what America not only looks like, but it's but it's culture and values. And you can do that by letting, you know, millions of people rush in who may be good people. I'm not just, I'm not even taking anything away from them, but they're not able to assimilate. Mm-hmm. And so therefore you have culture clashes. And what is the American culture is drastically changed. But, you know, if you're people who like. Barack Obama said we want to fundamentally transform the country. Uh, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Genevieve, don't you have to be a U.S. citizen to vote in a national election? You're supposed to, you're supposed to be, but there's some states uh, that have suggested that you don't have to do that in some counties that don't enforce those laws. Oh, okay. uh, they let people vote without driver's license. They let them vote without showing any form of ID. And so, therefore, you have a lot of people voting. I don't know exactly how many, uh, but you have people voting, certainly, who are not U.S. citizens. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that that is the response. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say when it comes to that. What about what's going on with our, our inflation and some of the, uh, the debt limits? I know that is ready to burst all over again. A big one coming up, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, with the, you know, I think everybody who has gone to the grocery store in the past day or certainly in the past several months uh, can see inflation numbers. Mm-hmm. And look, you know, it, the economy goes up and down naturally. But when the government gets involved and tries to, quote unquote, fix things, it often makes it far worse and makes the ups and downs much higher and much lower than they would be if it would just let the economy run. And unfortunately, you know, we when we had COVID, uh, the Fed stepped in and said, we're going to put more money into the economy, try to get people to spend because everybody's staying you know, staying home and not going out. Had they left it there, uh, we could have rebounded much better. But they don't leave it there. Uh, they come in and now because then you because people all of a sudden had a lot more money, but yet our production levels were down because of COVID and inventories were not stocked. As we all know, you try to go get something and it's not there. Prices went up. Goods become more scarce. The price of them goes up far higher. Uh, they lowered artificially interest rates very, very low. People went out and got big mortgages. Now the interest rates are trying to go back up. So it's just a, it's kind of a whip, you know, uh, a back and forth that whiplash, if you will, uh, with the economy. And so much of that is because the federal, the Fed has played a role that it shouldn't play. Um, and unfortunately, this administration has been in favor of that. Yeah. And the only way to fix it really without just making Americans pay more for goods is to say we're going to try to take some of the money out. We're, we're going to quit giving, just putting pumping more money in. And where they should stop pumping it is to the government. But, of course, the government 
wants money to do what they want to do. They don't want to cut any spending. Mm-hmm. So we're in the, the policy that we're living under right now is probably going to have things prices continuing uh, to go up. Mm-hmm. Now, Genevieve, safe to say both sides of the political aisle have been very messy when it comes to uh, the debt and infl- and immigration and uh, we're not pointing any finger in any one direction. It seems that this has been the problem uh, for multiple generations, as long as I can remember. That's absolutely true. I, Republicans and Democrats both overspend. Uh, I will say, you know, my father always had a great saying of Republicans and Democrats are, are basically headed off the same cliff. It's just that Democrats are driving a little faster. Mm. <laughs> so they're, they're spending a little more money, but both sides are spending too much. And when it comes to immigration policy, um, both, both have been at fault. Uh, yeah. Both have not been willing to, to truly address it. I think President Trump did as much as a president can do without having Congress help, as, as we've seen. Uh, but the reality is, you know, Ronald Reagan was, was a president in 1986 who granted amnesty to all the illegal immigrants that were currently in the country. Yeah. Uh, but he later regretted that because he, what he realized is like that ended up causing not, you know, not settling it and clearing the slate and then not having the problem again. It just encouraged more people to do the same because they saw amnesty happen once. And so they figure, well, if I can get in, eventually they'll do amnesty again. And the problem has, you know, tripled and quadrupled since that time. Yeah. So we we live in a broken world, and it's hard to see uh, what happens on both sides of the political aisle. Yes, yeah, so why you, you can't just take for granted just because somebody has a D next to their name or, or an R next to their name that they're going to do what you believe is right. Yeah. But I, I, I will say when it comes to certain issues, there is one party that does take a stronger stand for the unborn, for example. Uh, I just saw what happened in Minnesota, I think, today. Yeah, it was today. A, that just became uh, probably the most pro-abortion state in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was because of, I think, every single Democrat voted for that bill except for one. Uh, so y- you do have to pay close attention to those things. I mean, this that law is going to allow abortion up until the moment of birth, as far as I understand. Mm-hmm. And it's like they were trying how. It's like, can we be the most extreme? Uh, because I think the Republicans there offered 50 to 60 mm-hmm. different amendments that would just say things like, you know, can we allow this law to prevent partial birth abortion? Can you uh, go in and say, well, if a baby does survive and is born, that you won't then just let it die? None of those amendments were added into this legislation, mm-hmm. which shows how extreme their agenda is on, yeah. the, on the pro-abortion side. Yeah. Genevieve, thank you uh, for joining the program today. Always nice to have you on, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Same here, and right. I sorry to end on that on that note, but uh, keep fighting the good fight. Thanks so much, Genevieve. All thank right, thank you, thank you, Rosie. That was a, a bunch of challenging, difficult news. I know we have only forty seconds. Would you know. close us in prayer? So yes, I'd uh, love to. Lord Jesus, I just um, thinking of Second Chronicles seven fourteen when we humble ourselves and bring our country into your throne room that you have said that you will hear us. So, Lord, we are bringing the United States into your throne room. We ask for correction. We ask for your peace. We ask for bridges of love and joy across all divides. And we just ask for your blessing upon this country and your forgiveness. For this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Lots ahead. We're going to take a little break and be right back.
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. Welcome to the show. If you just tuned in, I'm so glad you you did. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I am so glad to be welcoming to the program Dr. Alex McFarlane. He's an apologist and author. Uh, He does just about everything and does it well. Alex, welcome to the show. Bill, uh, 10 years ago, I couldn't spell Arthur, and now I are one. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So, it's such an honor to be on with you again, my friend. Oh, uh, thank you. And we've been doing kind of a fun series on learning about wisdom from uh, theologians who have passed on, dead theologians. And I, I asked you if you could uh, take a, a short pause with me on that because I, I, I want to invite you into this new short series I'm doing, and you're a perfect person to ask these questions to. But the series is called New Friend, Same Seven Questions. So I want to ask a number of trusted theologians and pastors, and, and, and I want to get a lay person as well, to answer these questions. Are you willing and game? I am willing and humbled and honored to be speaking with you, now, Bill Arnold. Thank you. Now, some of these questions are like, have two parts to them, so maybe it's a little more than seven, but I've got seven basic questions to ask you. Let's, so let's start with this one. Is man separated from God? Yes. In his sin, yes, but reconciled to God through Jesus. Okay, so we are we are in a state of separation until we have the righteousness of Christ. Am I hearing that correctly? That that is true. Mm-hmm. What about the people that you talk to that say, "Well, I'm a child of God, and I'm a pretty good person, and I think if there's a a good God in a good place, and I'm a good person, I'll go to be with Him." Well, uh, you, you know, uh, John Lennon sang in the song "Imagine," and he used that. For, and which, by the way, I, I really don't like that song at Man, all. Man, neither. Fact, that that might be my least favorite song <laughs> mm-hmm. in the Western world. But he says, "A brotherhood of man," and. I remember growing up, Bill, because I grew up in a fairly liberal mainline Protestant church. You know, this is you know fifty years ago, and I became a. a Christian when I was uh, 21, but I would hear this phrase over and over, the, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. So in the sense that God created all human beings, you know, we're, yes, we, we're all creations of God because all people are made by God, but we are not children of God until we're born again through Jesus. We're children of wrath, You know, the original question, you said, are we separated from God? And yes, Isaiah 59, verse 2 says, your sins have separated between you and God. So uh, in a general sense, we're children of God in that God created us, but we are not in the family of God. Uh, In fact, we are children of wrath Mm. until we're born again through putting our faith in Jesus. And that's a hard truth for a lot of people. They don't like hearing that. And they will say, well, you're one of those self-righteous, arrogant people that think you're better than me. Well, you you remember years ago, Bill Maher, um, who, by the way, the 
ordinarily left-leaning Bill Maher, who in recent days has been saying things that sound more and more like you know, conservative. But years and years ago, Bill Maher went on his previous show, Politically Incorrect, he said that Christians are people, this is a verbatim quote, he said, Christians are people who think they're going to heaven because they're better than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my heart really sank that somebody would get an impression of Christianity like that, because in reality, you know, like like Paul, who who felt that he was the chief of all sinners, Christians really are people who not only do we not think we're better than anybody else, we admit that before a holy God we are abject sinners. You know, mm -hmm. Ephesians 2 verse 3, here's the thing, for everybody that has not yet come to Jesus, um, and this is not Alex or Bill Arnold or Billy Graham saying it, although we all believe it, but this is the Word of God. Ephesians 2, 3 says that the, the unregenerate world are made up of humans who are, quote, children of wrath. Mm -hmm. In other words, we're under the, the coming condemnation of God unless we put our trust in Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that might sound, uh, oh, you know, who do you think you are? No, uh, we know that we're nothing, but we also know that Jesus is everything. Amen. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. My little short series is called New Friend, Same Seven Questions. And uh, let me ask you this, Alex. What is the fate of the lost, and what are we saved from? Wow, great question. And Bill, thank you for, not only thank you for doing what you do, you do such magnificent God-honoring biblical radio, but you, you allow me to be on, and I'm so grateful. Uh, you know, it reminds me of things that I've experienced, and I was at a conference, a pretty major Bible conference, about a decade ago, and during the Q&A, a gentleman asked, just as sincerely as he could, he said, um, I always hear people talk about being saved, and he said, saved from what? And, you know, what was interesting, the man that asked this question was actually like uh, an elder in a church. And I explained, you know, what salvation is. We're saved from the, the guilt of sin. We're saved from the punishment that our sins are due. We're, we're saved from the power of sin as we grow in Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we're ultimately saved and delivered from the presence of sin. But um, you ask about a judgment. Well, the first uh, is one is, ask? what is the fate of the lost? Well, the fate of the lost, uh, if, if they, anybody, um, uh, the felon on death row, the, the upstanding law-abiding citizen who lives next door, the, the church member, whomever, the fate of the lost is to be separated from God eternally if you leave this world without a relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And how, how we know this is what the Word of God says. I mean, the Bible talks about there was a great white throne and the, the unsaved nations of all the centuries were assembled before the great white throne. And like Matthew 7, 21 through 24, you know, Jesus says, you know, depart, I never knew you. And it says, you know, um, the, into hell prepared for the devil and his angels. And so this is hard truth, but this is absolute from the Bible. 
um, Bill, that the fate of the lost is to be ostracized from God mm -hmm. for forever. I would encourage people to read Revelation twenty eleven through fourteen. Nice. Revelation twenty. 11 through 14 talks about the great white throne and the dead small and great stood before God and the books were open and another book was open the book of life and whosoever was not found in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire revelation 2014 uh, this is the second death revelation 2015 whoever was not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire so how does one get one's name in the Lamb's Book of Life by having a relationship with the Lamb? Yeah, that leads me, to, leads me to, to my next question, Alex McFarland, and that is this. What is the point a person is saved, and how? And uh, what, does, that, what does someone have to do to be saved? Well, Revelation 10, um, Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The point at which a person is saved is the moment that they call on Jesus. Now, in, in what? What do we mean when we say call on Jesus? And folks, this, this heart realization could take a while or it could happen in a second. But you understand that you're a sinner and you, you, you know you've, you've known the right, but you've done the wrong. And you realize that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And when he was nailed to that cross, yes, he, he did it for the world, quote-unquote, but he did it for me and you. He did it for Alex. He did it for Bill. He did it for you. And then you're willing to say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Please forgive me. Lord, save me. Lord, wash my sins away. Bill, I have, I've watched people open their heart to Christ in a second. And then I've watched people over, you know, 10 minutes methodically process it. But even right now, Bill, because this is one of the great promises of Jesus in John six thirty seven, Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will in no way reject. Mm -hmm. So the point at which a person comes to Christ it could be right now, even somebody listening, driving in the car. You know, keep your eyes on the road, folks. But from your heart to God, and he will hear you, just say, Jesus, please forgive my sins and make me alive, save me, and help me to follow you. Mm, I love it. And Doc so the Bible calls that being born again. Mm -hmm. So that's the moment where you are born from above, and that is a, 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 a moment in time. Fair? Yes. Okay. Yes. Alex McFarland is my guest, and we're talking about um, seven, the same seven questions, a new friend. And let me ask you this, Alex, what is the fate of the saved, and what are they saved to? Wow. Great, great question. Well, the fate of the saved is uh, a home in heaven hereafter and God's abiding presence here. And a, a beautiful journey, an adventure, really, of being a follower of Jesus. And, and Bill, let me just say this, and you and I have talked about this positionally. Uh, let's, say, let's say you've got your kitchen table, and there's, there's a, a, a ball on the floor. 
and you know the table is is big and let's say it's a round table and in the middle there's a mark the, the center of that table well if you pick that ball up off the floor and set it on the table anywhere on the table that ball is now positionally on the table and that's how it is when you become a christian you are in christ now the rest of life is a journey of becoming more and more like jesus and that's um, sometimes it's called, you know, progressive Christian growth, or the, the, the Bible word is really sanctification. So salvation is a one-time event. Sanctification is a lifelong process. And uh, maybe some days you're close to the center, the mark, and some days you fall and stumble, but you're still a Christian because you're positionally in Christ. Bill, when we put our faith in the Lord, our position changes, and from that moment onward, we are in Christ. And then add John one twelve to that discussion, because I think that might be a good place to add that verse in. Well, exactly. You know, that we are now sons of God by faith in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And to all who believe in him, to them he gave the right and the standing to be called the children of God. Now, you said, what is the fate? Well, Hebrews says he will never leave us or forsake us. Um, I love Matthew 6, 8. He knows what we need even before we ask. And then so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what the Bible promises. And 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and this is not pie in the sky wishful thinking. I mean, this is rock solid biblical reality whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Mm. I love that. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. I'm in a short series called New Friends, Same Seven Questions. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we've got more questions to ask Alex McFarland. You can learn more about him at alexmcfarland.com. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LeBurge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine. Search Mornings with Carmen LeBurge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Uh, That's pretty snappy music. That is the walk-up music for Dr. Alex McFarlane. I was glad to have Alex on. We're talking about my series called New Friend, Same Seven Questions. And Alex is indeed a true friend and a great friend of Faith Radio. I love having him on. And Mm. so we have gone through a bunch of the questions. Let me pick up. This next one is interesting, Alex. And that is, do all who believe move from death to life? Uh, Bill, I would have to ask, uh, do all who believe what? Do all, I'm sorry, great question. Do all who believe in Jesus and put their faith in him, do they move from death to life? Well, great question. You know, First um, John 5.1 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God. That's a great verse. Because yeah. You know, in our denominations, and our we we all have our denominational distinctives, and and that that's okay uh, because you know good. 
people of good faith, to the best of their ability, have tried to craft denominations that, uh, you know, live out the, the Word of God. And people have, uh, with varying degrees of accuracy, tried to pull things out of the Bible that are, you know, important to them. And, but the core, the, the core foundational non-negotiables of saving faith and the New Testament Christianity, we call it. And, and this is something that really all strata of Christendom traditionally has agreed on. Okay, uh, the nature of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God has revealed himself as we find in the scripture, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God, and not just a good man, but God incarnate, core non-negotiable. Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, you know, Greek, we all believe Jesus is the Son of God, and that on the cross, Jesus, the Lamb of God, uh, his blood was shed to atone or pay for our sins. Jesus literally rose from the dead. He, he literally rose, not some amorphous spirit vapor, but no, Jesus physically rose from the dead, and Jesus is coming back. So to your question, Bill, do all who... You know, are all who believe saved? Well, we've got to be clear, and, and this is where words really help us. Okay, and I would just encourage people to listen very carefully because, Bill, when I was 21, this was the, the aha moment that I realized I needed to seriously put my faith in Jesus. James 2, verse 19, in the English translation, it says, The devils believe, yet tremble. Okay, and then you read Acts 16.31, Paul says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. John 3.16, Whosoever believes in him. Now, in our English Bible, Bill, we just read the word believe. Uh, but here's the thing. One use of the word, James 2.19, refers to awareness of a fact. See, Satan, if you ask Satan himself, do you know God exists? Yes. Do you know Jesus is the Son of God? Even the devil could say, yes, I'm aware of that. Do you know Jesus rose from the dead and Christ is coming back and all things for eternity will be under the rulership and authority of Jesus? Do you know that Jesus will rule and reign forever? Even Satan could say, yes, I am aware of that. And obviously he's not saved. So the kind of belief that will result in our salvation is not merely acknowledgement of some fact on an intellectual level. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I've debated liberals uh, that are unbelievers, brazen atheists, and they're like, yes, Jesus existed. They, they, know, they believe that Jesus existed. But when you read... John 3.16, Acts 16.31, John 6.40, where Jesus said, whoever sees the Son and believes in him. That's not merely mental acknowledgement of a fact mm -hmm. or a state of affairs. That's a heart relationship. That's willing to say, being willing to say, Lord, not only do I acknowledge you are who you claim to be, you did what you said you would do, you rose from the dead, but Jesus, I want you in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm turning, I'm putting myself in your hands, Jesus. I trust you. So the word, it's actually in the Greek, it's the word pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-A-U. 
uh, we get several words from that root. But it's really saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I put my, my soul in your hands, and with you in my life, I will follow you as long as I live. And so it's our English word belief just doesn't completely do justice to the, the multifaceted word that is in the original language that means a relationship with. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. New friends, same seven questions. Can we have assurance of, a, of our eternal destiny? Uh, I believe we absolutely can. That's why for, for a born-again believer, we, we don't have to be afraid to die. I mean, I don't want to die because I like being alive and serving Jesus and loving my wife and getting to know Bill Arnold. You know, I don't want to die. And sometimes, like, when I'm flying on planes, I'm thinking, you know, I don't, I, I know I'm going to heaven, but the the momentary process of getting there might really hurt, you know. But <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I love that we we derive our assurance and and the fear of death is is taken away not based on our feelings but based on the promises of the word of god and bill i, I probably know i sound like a broken record but you know like first john 5 4 whoever is born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith he who overcomes the world is the one who believes jesus is the son of god first john 5 5. now first john 5 13 says, these things have I written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. K-N-O-W, the word know, is the word from which we get the word certainty. So yes, we can absolutely know with confidence where we'll go when we die. But it's not based on emotion. It's based on the promises of Scripture. And remember, the Bible says God cannot lie Jesus said in John 10:35 the scripture cannot be broken so our our priorities our viewpoint our beliefs our behavior and our confident assurance bill i believe must be drawn from the Word of God, because it is the one dependable voice in this world. Mm-hmm. Alex has God given us all we need for life and godliness as believers. Wow, these are great questions. I believe he has. Now, God doesn't always give us all we think we want from a human sense because, you know, I might want a brand new car or I might want to have a best-selling book. And, uh, you know, but all we need for life and godliness, yes, we have all we want. I mean, all we need, all we need. And, and let me just say this, sometimes, you know, God does bless us. I mean, he really does. You know, Psalm 37, 4 says, commit your way to the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And and I have found that sometimes, yes, God really does give the desires of our heart. I mean, I wanted to, there have been a lot of musicians that I just idolized, and I wanted to share the gospel with them. And some of my musical heroes growing up, God has allowed me to meet, to pray with them, even to almost be like a pastoral voice. That was a dream I had, and God's allowed me to do it. I wanted to preach in all 50 states, and uh, God's let me do that about a dozen times over. Mm. Um, But, you know, life and godliness, sometimes 
God gives us all we need for life and godliness because as we mature, our bucket list changes. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I begin to have to admit sometimes the things I wanted for Alex were not really the right things for Alex to <laughs> want. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, we just have less about a minute and one last question. As we surrender to God and die to ourselves, uh, we will have an abundant life. Correct? I agree. Yes. Well, that was easy. John ten ten. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would just. Yeah, that's John ten ten. I mean, life and life more abundantly. Yeah. Uh, Alex, thank you for participating in this new friend. Same seven questions. It. it I just think it builds up the body of Christ to be hearing these questions um, answered again and again and again. Amen. I agree. And, you know, I just want to say I appreciate you and Faith Radio so much because I know I tend to be wordy. I'm like the guy you ask me what time it is and I give you the history of the wristwatch, (laughs) you know. Uh But it's worth drilling down deeply and getting a fully orbed biblical answer, isn't it? I agree. Thank you again for coming on the show. Really great to have you. Hey, let's do this again in two weeks. I will indeed. All right. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. You can go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about his uh, writing and his seminars and uh, his teaching. He's got over 20 books. They're all available and for um, you can review them at his website. That's alexmcfarland.com. After a break, hour two is just ahead and Jeff Verdorn is my guest and we're going to continue our series called Who Is This Jesus. It's always a good time to show Christ's love to a hurting world through acts of kindness. So you can join our Kindness Always initiative at MyFaithRadio.com. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.